Well, good morning. It is a, uh, it's always a joy to, to bring God's word to his people. And so as I kind of get set up here, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of um, a heads up. I was told by Matt that uh, uh, he's on baby watch. And so, but he's here with us this morning. I think he's still here with us this morning. Okay, all right, good. Nothing's happened between the beginning and now. Uh, he said that he was going to leave either if I pro- preached heresy or the baby uh, started to, to come. So uh, if you see him leave, make your own decisions on, on what exactly is happening. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've enjoyed uh, myself being the father of three boys. Uh, we have three uh, very excited, um, very, um, very funny um, and very enjoyable sons, uh, ages five, three, and one. Uh, we're trying to squeeze them all in there so we get them all out at the same time. Uh, but Elijah, Titus, and Malachi are boys, and uh, they're really uh, next to being um, a husband to my to my wife. I get to be a father, and that's it's one of the most enjoyable things I think that I've I've had the the pleasure of experiencing in my life. Um, but also one of the most challenging things I've had. Uh, the pleasure of experiencing my life as well. Um, the, the things that we try to do with our boys and trying to get them to, to grow and mature and, and understand um, the gospel has really uh, has challenged me and my, and my ability to communicate that, my patience, my understanding. Um, and so, you know, we get into situations, as many of you have experienced, where we've got to address things with our, with our boys. Um, whether that be lying, which is now coming into the forefront with our oldest who just started school, uh, hitting, which our middle child loves to do, um, or just being really cute. Sometimes our youngest is still, he still hasn't lied to us much. He doesn't speak. So, so far, so good. Um, but, you know, we, we're starting to address things, you know, whether that, that be, you know, sneaking slices of cheese from the fridge in the middle of the night uh, without asking or doing a cannonball on the back of my head while I'm trying to take a nap. Um, these are the kind of things that we get to experience, and it's and it's uh, it's fun and exciting. But there's moments where we're trying to reveal to our children um, the consequences of their actions, whether that be a, an actual consequence, like your brother's lip is bleeding, or uh, a consequence of you know, hey, you've lost trust now that you've you've lied. We've tried to explain, especially with our oldest, we've tried to tie in with him. Uh, these consequences and, and identifying sin patterns in his life and being able to identify, hey, uh, why have you done this and, and what is the consequence of this? And so for me, um, being able to explain and understand what confession is um, has really kind of come to a head with, with raising our children. And so this morning I get the privilege to kind of continue the series that Matt has begun uh, in rehearsing the gospel, and this morning we get to talk about confession. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 51. Um, if you have uh, one of the, the hardback Bibles this morning, it's in pa- uh, on page 474. Uh, so you can turn there. I, um, I, I, was, I was really, I enjoyed the fact that we, we read that first John passage uh, this morning. It's one of the things that, um, for me, is... Is, is poignant. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
H.H. Uh, Hobbes says this. He says, no matter what language a person speaks, the three most difficult words to utter are, I have sinned. It's, it's, it's difficult. And, and, and really, you know, kind of even in rearing um, children, um, the hardest part sometimes is to realize that, that my action actually is a sin. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that where you've, you're like, I, I'm not sure if I was selfish here in that moment, but uh, luckily for some of us, we have spouses or significant others in our lives who will point that out for us um, often, maybe, maybe more often than, than is comfortable. Um, but we, we have people who point that out for us that, that we have committed sin, uh, that we have sinned against them or someone else. Uh, the, the, the enjoyment of the community of uh, of, of Christ is that, that we have brothers and sisters in the faith who will, who will point out our sin for us and, and help us in the restoration of that. But no matter if we recognize it or someone else does or if it's hidden, uh, God our Father knows these sins. And he is familiar with our sin. And he knows the struggle uh, that we possess in recognizing and confessing sin. I think it's important for us to, to define sin, though. I think it's a, it's a term that maybe gets thrown around a lot. I think it's even a, a term that is used by, um, by culture without context. But John Piper defines sin as this. Sinning is a feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. Sinning, sins, actions called sins, or any thought, feeling, speech, or action that comes, uh, that, that comes like fruit, branch, shoot out from the root of the heart that prefers anything to God. So that being said, there, there's really two types of sin that we want to uh, be willing to confess. That there are sins of commission, the things that we do, the, the actions that have their consequences and there are sins of omission. There are things that we should do, but yet we did not do. Charles Hodge says that in regards to the sins of omission, the thing to be done to turn from sin to holiness, to love God perfectly and our neighbors as ourselves, to perform every duty without defect or omission, and to keep ourselves from all sin of thought, word, or deed in the heart of life. Sins of omission maybe are the hardest to identify, but yet require confession as well. And so whether we, we struggle with actually committing sins or we sin in the omitting of doing that which what we should do as believers and, and, and children of God are both things that we need to bring to the foot of the cross. Confession is admittance, especially of guilt, and guilt of sin. Uh, it's said that, that Christians, it's important for Christians to keep short accounts with God. That we shouldn't go long between our periods of, of evaluation of our own lives, of our actions, of our heart, of our thoughts, and to confess those things to God. Because these are the barriers that truly separate us further and further from God are these sins. Um, and when we, when we look at um, confession, we want to look at what God desires in that confession, which we're about to get to, to in, in Psalm 51. But I want to I bring us to some context of Psalm 51. 
The context of Psalm 51 here is where we have David. He is confessing something that, uh, that I don't know many people have committed in one, in one act, in essence. What we have here in Psalm 51 is, is David confessing his sin to God. And, and the context of that is the, is the history that David had with Bathsheba. If you know that story at all, David uh, is supposed to be out at war. Um, you know, uh, 2 Samuel 11 starts out with uh, the time of the year where the kings were out at war. But David was not out at war. David was home. David was resting. He was, he was taking time away. He was not where he was supposed to be, uh, one, geographically, two, uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, because he went out onto the rooftop and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath uh, on her rooftop, called for her. As the Bible says, he lay with her. So, you know, you interpret that as you would. Um, and, and through that process impregnates Bathsheba, Bathsheba is, is married to, to one of the, the, the key uh, generals in David's army, uh, Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah is where he's supposed to be, doing as he should, fighting the good fight for Israel. And David, realizing the situation that he is now in, calls Uriah home, hoping to uh, get him to... Um, be with his wife to cover up the indiscretion of his actions and maybe be able to write that off. But Uriah stays faithful to the mission that he's on, ultimately putting David in a position now where David realizes that, that he must eliminate Uriah, sending a message as Uriah goes back to war to put Uriah on the front lines. And not only put them on the front lines in the, in the hardest part of the fighting, but as they're fighting, commanding the generals to pull back the rest of the group from Uriah, leaving him alone and ultimately allowing him to be killed. And this action, this, this course of action that we see David commit here um, is, is a travesty, and it was a reflection of where he was at the time. And what we see happen after that is we have Nathan the prophet coming to David, addressing David and saying, the Lord has seen everything. He's seen every action, every thought, and he kind of gives them um, uh, an analogy. And the analogy is that there are two men, one of them a poor man who who has this this ewe lamb. And this, and this ewe lamb that he has is his only lamb. And there was a rich man who had many, many sheep, many lambs, many, um, many much um, uh, of, of his livestock. And, and, and yet the, the rich man has a visitor. And the visitor comes in, um, and the rich man was supposed to supply a meal. And instead of killing his own, he goes to the poor man, takes the poor man's lamb, and prepares that for his visitor. This, this analogy that Nathan comes into to David with uh, enrages David. 
David wanting to be just king, a just king, is, says to Nathan, the man who stole this man's lamb should be killed. That is not, that is not right, that is not good, how dare he? And Nathan, with the prophetic voice of God, says to him, you are that rich man. And here we have a moment right after that where David reflects. He has a moment of recognition of his sin. And this, in Psalm 51, is his response. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud, of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered to your altar. What we have here is there's a contrasting difference between mere confession of sin from an attrition standpoint and true, true contrition. So there's, there's attrition which is kind of like when you catch your kids doing something and they, they apologize and they confess, yes, I was stealing the cookie out of the cookie jar and they've got caught. Um, and the, the repentance is not maybe necessarily true repentance. And then we have contrition. is this genuine heartfelt desire and, and pleading for forgiveness. And this is what we see here in this passage. We, David was not at a point where he was just confessing because maybe he should confess. He was genuinely wrecked by the goodness and grace of God and his actions. So when we talk about confession, let us not get confused that our confession should just be an admittance. 
but truly a contrite heart that is bothered deeply by our sin. We have here in the beginning of this passage um, that, that David himself knows um, that when Nathan came to him, maybe his actions were not right, but something happened in that exposing. Something happened in that um, God knowing David's sin that, that really changed things for him. And what happened was that, that Nathan brought the word of God, the word from God to David. And so the first thing we need to see is that the word of God exposes our sin. The word of God will expose aspects and areas of our life that we, we may not even know. The, the older I get, the more sinful I see that I am. There are areas of my own personal life that I'm starting to see selfishness in, in my actions and in my heart and in, in kind of my motivations that I, I did not notice when I was younger. There were the more obvious things, the lust, the, the greed, the, um, the, the use of my time. Like those things were more obvious, but now as I, as I get older, I see, I see even kind of the more refined aspects of sin in my life. Things that have honestly affected more areas than I, than I care to admit. So the word of God exposes our sin. And this is the realization of sin that Nathan brings to David. And it is, um, it is the closer that we get to the light that we see more of these things. I, I had an experience with some students one time. We were playing Manhunt, in essence, um, tag, uh, but at a much more intense level, right? Because you call it Manhunt, so it has to be more intense. And so we're out in these... Um, these these orange fields, these orange groves, and it's, it's 11 o'clock at night. Uh, there's about 30 of us out there split into teams. Everyone's got flags. Uh, guys in full camo. You know, we've got war paint on. Uh, this is why we called it manhunt. Um, the war paint was the qualifier. And so we're out there, and, and you're trying to hide the best possible ways. And so yeah, I'm, I'm the older guy in the group. All of these are young teenagers. Uh, they're fast, they're quick, they're agile, they can turn on a dime. Um, I'm slow and big and don't hide well. And so I did the best, the best I could do. I was in full camouflage. I really wanted a ghillie suit, like what the snipers have, and just cover up and hide the entire time. But I, I was on the ground, I, you know, we're crawling around trying to get to... Uh, to, to their flag, to bring it back to our side. And we get done. It was a great night. And I'm, you know, it's, we've got parking lot lights on. And I'm like, man, I'm like, my hands are black. I really was like way too much into the dirt. Um, and so you know, uh, there was some light, and I could, see, I could see that I was dirty. And I got home, and I went upstairs and, and went into the bathroom and um, got into much brighter light. And I saw like, not just my hands were dirty, but like up my arms. I had like, I had a long sleeve shirt on and it was yet, the dirt had gotten all the way inside of my sleeves. There was dirt everywhere. My neck, you start, you start washing and you start realizing that there's dirt everywhere, all over you, in your shoes. There was, 
It was incredible. But the more I was closer to the light, the more I could see my dirtiness. And this is what's happening, is that Nathan is bringing to David the light, the light of the gospel, the light of the good news of, of who God is, his righteousness, his goodness, his perfection. And the closer that David gets this, the more dirty he sees that he is, is in need of confession and repentance. The closer we get to the light, these things are exposed in our life. And, and, and really, in the beginning, that's Psalm 51, 1 through 6, we see a picture, and I think it's a very poignant picture, of contrite confession. The true heart of confession. It's interesting to note in that first part of that passage that David uses the, the Hebrew word Elohim. He uses Elohim as opposed to Jehovah. Jehovah is the covenant name of God for, for the Israelites. It's the name that is personal. He's the covenant-making God. And yet, David in his contrite spirit couldn't even... He couldn't even bring himself to use the covenant name of God. He used Elohim, like, like, like a more of a general term for God. He is so wrecked by his actions in view of who God is that his words reflect that contrite heart. In verse 1 he says, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God. He's desiring and pleading with God, knowing that the judgment that he should deserve is there. And God in his justice would be in perfect, perfect um, in his will to, to, to judge David with death. David wanted to kill the rich man in, in the analogy. And he knows that he deserves that because of what he has done. He has taken a man's life. He has committed adultery. This is premeditated murder. Like we've, we've, We put people on death row because of that today. David deserves justice and pleads with God for mercy. Deal with me with grace, not as what I deserve the Hebrew word here, the, the steadfast love of God, is the Hebrew word hesed, which is, which is the love of God. And here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus is the hesed of God. He is the steadfast love of God that we see in the Old Testament made man at the incarnation. And God deals with us with his hesed. This is the goodness of God, and, and David is pleading, deal with me with your steadfast love, not as I deserve. So when we confess, understanding that our sin is an offense to God, it is open rebellion to God, and yet pleading with God, deal with me with your steadfast love, not as I deserve. And the the glory, the beauty of the gospel is the fact that God has dealt with us with his hesed. And the hesed was on the cross. And the hesed died for us. Jesus took our sin. He took what David had done and placed it upon himself. This is why confession for us should be welcomed. The cross exposes us for who we are. 
If there was another way for us to, to be right with God, the cross would not be necessary. Because of the cross, we have right standing with God. Because of the cross, we can live and confess our sins. We don't need to, to hide our sins or say, I don't want to bother God with this sin. Or I don't need to confess this because it's not a big deal. Confess everything. Because God, because of the cross, has exposed the fact that we need him so very, very much every single day. This is the steadfast love of God. Wash me, he says. Wash me, removing the stain from me. There's, there's, not, there's nothing David could do to remove the stain of sin from his life. There's nothing that he could do. Because his offense, as he goes on to say, his offense was not against Uriah the Hittite, was not against Bathsheba or Israel, although they are involved in that sin. His true offense compared to what their involvement is truly against God. His sin is against God. He he sinned against God, and we sin against God every time we put ourselves before others, every time we put our thoughts in wrong order, every time that we do not honor and glorify God as we should, as he deserves. Wash me, remove my sin. Against you alone have I sinned. Murder and adultery, like I said, are not impersonal sins. They are probably the most personal sins you can commit. But in comparison to the offense that it brings to God, they are staggering. Because these actions are the abuse of truth, they're the, the abuse of, of, of what God calls true, this relationship that a husband and wife have, the relationship of, of God making man in his image and taking that life, these are very personal and these are very these are almost i would say truth claims of god augustine of hippo says this the confession of evil works is the beginning of good works so david confessing this is the beginning of god doing good in his life and finally the last um the last point i, w- I would love to point out is the repentance of sin is necessary for us Verse 7 says, purge me and wash me. David is not asking, God, how can I do better? How can I be a better person? How can I be a better father? He is asking and pleading with God to make him clean. He is acknowledging the fact that his only hope in this life, his only hope is that God interject and wash him and make him clean. I struggle sometimes with the fact that, that although I, I ask and I confess sin, I don't know if I want to be clean. Right? I don't know if I want to give those things up. You know, I don't know if I, I want to be unselfish. I don't know if I, I, I struggle with this, this, this desire to be ridded, rid of this, this sin habit, this, this consistency in my life. Maybe I like that, and so I'll confess it because I know I need to confess. But do, I, do we truly want that to be gone? Do we truly want that to be washed away, removed completely from us? 
think these are honest questions to ask. But David, in his repentance of sin, is asking that these things be purged from him, to leave him completely, that he would be a different person. He asks God to create and to make and renew in him, to create a new heart, not a, a fixed heart, but a new heart, to literally remove the old heart and to place in him a new heart, something that is completely contrary to what existed prior. To make a clean heart, this is reflective of the new birth that we have in Jesus Christ, and to give him a renewed and upright spirit. David is asking for God to renew not just his heart, but everything about him. He is disgusted with who he is. And sh- sin itself should disgust us. It is, it is the, the old man trying to come back out of the grave that we have buried, that Christ is placed in the grave. And David is asking for, for newness, a new self. In verse 17, I think that this, if you have a pen um, and you mark in your Bible, please underline verse 17. This is, the, this is the picture of the contrite heart. Verse 17 says this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise this. You will not despise a broken and contrite heart. This is the essence of what God is truly looking for. When he talked about the sacrifices, what God desired is that these things would actually cost us something. And the, and the ultimate sacrifice is that, that our sin has costed God something. It costed Christ his life, dying on the cross, taking our sin, beating sin and death. There was a cost associated with the sacrifice of Christ. And this comes for us for a, as a contrite heart that our sin truly bother us. Because if we, um, if we understand the gospel will understand that, that repentance and confession are an everyday activity for us. Luther says that all of Christian life is a life of repentance. It's not one time. It is continual. It is daily. We need the gospel daily, moment by moment in our life. It is, it is the greatest lie in the world that confession is a one-time thing. For if we desire to be like Christ in our sanctification, we need daily, if not moment by moment, repentance and confession of sin. Which is why we gather together. Which is why we rehearse the gospel in the service. So that we understand that that our right standing before God is because of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross, not because of our, our own deeds and activity or, or righteousness that we think that we have. But it reminds us consistently and constantly that we are in desperate need daily for forgiveness. We have ultimate forgiveness through Christ, but we need daily confession of sin. Confession is for us, an expression of our desperate need for Christ. No matter where we are, what stage of life, no matter what socioeconomic class we fall into, our need for confession and understanding of who God is is a daily 
need. There's a, um, a story about uh, Commodore Vanderbilt, um, the mighty multimillionaire, as he neared the, the, the opal gates of death. He asked a faithful servant of his to come to his bedside and to sing an old gospel hymn, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. It said that the aged servant put much feeling and pleading pathos into the hymn. As he sang the song, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of mercy, love, and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. At the conclusion of the hymn, Vanderbilt, forgetting his millions, said, I am poor and needy sinner. And this is our confession every day, that we are poor and needy sinners. We confess this with our mouths. We confess this to each other in community, pleading that God show mercy on us and and thanking God. Christ for being the intercessor for us, taking on our sin and freeing us from the debt of that sin. Confession leads to mercy. Mercy that we've received and mercy we can therefore show to other people around us. We confess our sins because the cross has exposed us. We confess our sins and we show mercy to others because God has been gracious and good to us. So let your confession be consistent. Let your understanding that the gospel allows us and gives us the freedom to confess daily and moment by moment and analyzing our lives and and taking into full account our heart, our thoughts, and the things that, that draw us away from God and put precedent over God. Let us confess those things so that we can see Jesus as he truly is. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, Your goodness and grace to us is made so evident in the cross. Father, as we confess our sins, you say that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let that be true of us. In your name we pray. Amen.